Thanks, Jonesy. I'm a futurist. Um, every personality test I take, every, uh, every inventory uh, it always says that I'm strategic and I look at the future. Um, and because of that, sometimes I forget to do what I'm supposed to do in the now, in the moment. And then you throw a jumbled bunch of circumstances in front of me, and because I look off to the future, I know how things are supposed to be someday out there, I can get lost sometimes in saying, what am I supposed to do right now? What's the thing I'm supposed to do right now? And um, as we were just in worship tonight, I just thought, I was thinking about this message tonight. We're in Leviticus chapter 24 tonight. I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking, like, probably more than ever, more of us don't know what to do right now. Uh, life has just been so, so confusing, and disappointing and discouraging and this week I was on a, a zoom call with uh, 57 other faith community leaders with our former mayor Sam Adams who was just inviting us as the church to, to just involve ourselves in, in solving some of the things that are broken in our city right now and I just sat on that call and I first of all I was just so thankful I just thought God thank you so much that our city leaders see the church as an ally in making this place the kind of city you want it to be but I also sat back and thought what do we do in this moment what do we do in times like the ones that we're in right now? And, and as I was worshiping tonight, I just realized that for a lot of us, um, there's been frustration and there's been discouragement and there's been questions about what do we do now? What, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in days like the ones that we're living in right now? And, and surprisingly, and it just hadn't dawned on me at all my study and anything, it just, it just hit me tonight um, just how relevant this text is for us right now in this moment. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to, to the book of Leviticus chapter 24. And, uh, and Leviticus chapter 24, again, gives us an image. It gives us a symbol. It gives us a picture that when we lift it out of its context of a sacrificial system and we bring it forward to our time and place, we see that God was actually telling the people something more than just this little thing they were supposed to do, but he was actually giving them a picture of who they were supposed to be in the now. Who are we supposed to be in the moment that we find ourselves in right now? So... Um, I'm just going to begin by reading, and then we're going to dive in and begin to unpack this together. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. So Leviticus chapter 24 has to do with special care for a special item that was inside the tabernacle or the tent of meeting that the people of Israel met God in. It has to do with this thing that they're referring to as the Jewish lampstand. Um, we know it as a menorah. And I have a really funny story for you. Mark Nicholas saw that I was talking about the menorah, and he goes, I have one of those in storage. He goes, I'll bring it for you to use for your message. I said, great, let's do that. So tonight when I showed up, I went to go in my, in my desk, in my office, and I opened up the door, and I expected a menorah that was like, going to be like this. And I just saw this, and I was like, well, that's cute. <laughs> and then before the service, Mark came up to me, he said, he said, it's a little small, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is, but it's actually perfect, because now it can just stay here the whole service, and you can stare at it. So you've seen this before. Raise your hand if you've seen one of these before. Sometime around Hanukkah, maybe you're familiar with something like this, right? Um, you'll notice that there are seven branches on the menorah. There are seven individual branches, and, and that number is repeated throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And at the top of each branch, instead of being a candle holder, there are these cups that are here. And, and the cups, they're, they're intended to hold oil and a wick. 
And what Leviticus chapter 24 is telling us is that the priest's job is to keep the lamps burning. Um, now, th this is filled with so much symbolism for us. And, and obviously, um, it, it's, if it's been such an icon for so long, uh, wh what is it actually telling us? If it's something we're so familiar with, what has this thing been saying? If you've seen this over and over again, what was it trying to tell us? What do these things actually mean? So, so the first question, I'm going to just ask a series of questions as we look at what was described in Leviticus 24. The first question is, what's the deal with the oil? What's the big deal with the oil? Is there anything about the oil that means something for us in, in this moment? Well, if you fast forward from Leviticus chapter 24 uh, to the time uh, in the life of Israel, to the time um, that some of you maybe are familiar with, and we've talked about this before in the series, but there's this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, Saul is the king of Israel. Uh, but Samuel, the prophet, is truly uh, more the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. He's sort of the unofficial behind-the-scenes leader. And, and in 1 Samuel, he comes to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons and essentially announce that he will be this future king. This is where King David comes from. And I just want you to hear what what's happens in this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. It says, speaking of David, it says, He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So we've talked about this before, but we see it again right here, that we learn that the oil is symbolic or synonymous with God's spirit. And, and this is a repeated theme throughout the Bible. When leaders or kings or prophets or priests are anointed with oil, the spirit of God moves on them in that moment. There's something that happens in that moment. So oil and spirit, if you want to think about this, anytime you see oil, think spirit. Just like anytime you see peanut butter, you think jelly, right? That's, they always go together. Whenever you see, you see oil in the Bible, we're always talking about something that has to do with the spirit of God. So then we, we move on to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to fast way forward to Ephesians chapter 5. And in the New Testament, we see things building on this idea. Verse 17 of Ephesians, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul, you, kind of, you might imagine growing up in, in the Jewish culture, you might imagine him thinking about these cups at the top of the menorah. You might imagine those cups being filled with oil. And Paul's looking at the life of a person and he's saying, now you, I want you and your life to be filled like this cup. He's talking about what life should be like as a Jesus follower, which we kind of wonder. That's what I was alluding to earlier. What are we really supposed to be doing? What is our role in this world? What, what, do we, what do we actually sink our teeth into? What do we get our hands dirty doing? It's in our nature to ask this question. And, and Paul says, your job is to be filled with the Spirit. Like the lampstand, you are to be filled with the Spirit of God. So be filled. So then you ask the question, well, how does one get filled with the Spirit? Well, Romans chapter 8 speaks to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. What's Paul saying to the Roman people here? He says, when you receive Jesus, 
When you become a, a Jesus follower, when you say, I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus, you receive his spirit, and then he dwells in you. In, in other words, you get all of the spirit that you're going to get when you decide to follow Jesus. So, so it's, it's not about, let me just make this very clear. So what Paul is re revealing to us, and this is tricky language, but you need to understand this. It's not about you getting more of the spirit. It's about the spirit getting more of you. Are you with me on this? It, it turns out the oil in the lamp or the spirit in you matters. Why? What, what happens when a person is filled? What happens when the lamp is filled? Acts chapter 1. Um, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, his ascension. This is after the resurrection. And he's telling them about what's going to take place next. And in verse 8, we get to the point of this. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them, you're going to receive power. Which, by the way, being a guy, I'm just going to say this, who doesn't want a little more power, right? Offer me two cars and one of them has more power, I take the one with more power, right? Tell, tell me I can be stronger next year than I am this year, I want to be stronger next year, right? Tell me there's a coffee that's like high rev with more caffeine in it, I'm going to take that coffee, right? Like, it, and it, you think about this, if Red Bull gives you wings, imagine what the Spirit of God can do for you, right? That's, that's what he's, he's saying, you're going to receive power. But notice the reason for the power. It's not so you can get a promotion at work. It's not power for power's sake. It's not so that you can beat somebody off the line. It's not so that you can win an arm wrestling match. No, the power is given to you for something way bigger than any of those things. And it totally connects with what we're seeing in Leviticus chapter 24. The power, Jesus says, is so that you can be my witnesses. It's like this. Jesus says, do you see how broken the world is? See how dark it is? And all of us right now nod our heads, yes, we do. We see how dark it is. We all know that. You know how hurting it is? You know how much pain and heartache and frustration there is out there? You know how messed up the world is? Jesus says, I'm going to give you this power. I'm giving you this power so that that world has a chance. That's why I'm giving you this. I didn't come so that you would huddle up and hide. <laughs> I didn't come so that you would run off to some place where it doesn't seem as dark. He says, I came because that place, the place outside of the doors of this auditorium, outside the doors of our house, that place, the world you know, is a broken world, and it needs some people with power in it. Amen? Which means the wrenching that we do every day if we're, if we're wrenching things, the writing that we do if we're writing things, the, the number crunching, the laboring, the, the studying, the teaching, all the things that we do out there, all of it matters. All of it matters. And, and you, this uniquely gifted, uniquely talented you, you have a story that matters. You matter. Your life matters. And because your life matters, just like the cup on the top of this lampstand, you need to stay filled with the Spirit of God so that you can burn bright. Th that's, that's what it takes to make the most of this one and only life we get, is that we are filled with the Spirit of God. That cup is a picture, and God is saying, you need to continually, continually, continually 
keep topping it off, keep being filled with the Spirit of God, because in order for you to be a light in that dark world, I need you to be filled with my Spirit. Are you with me in this? So the oil, the Spirit of God is there. Why? So that there can be light, so the light can shine in the darkness. Um, Genesis chapter 1, which is just beautiful in the Hebrew language, paints a picture of how God created the universe. And in verse 3, we read these words. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. <laughs> so the first thing that God does is he brings light into the darkness. Do you see this? The first move of God is to bring light into the darkness. There's something dark. I'm going to bring light into this place. Or check this out. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. It assumes this reality that we're walking in dark places, and the word of God illuminates in front of us. It lights my path. It helps me see where I should go. It gives me direction in the darkness. Or check this out. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is what? Light, right? God is light. He himself is light. Which then, check this out. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 8, verse 12, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of life. By the way, side note, if you were Jewish and you were growing up during this time and you heard Jesus make a reference to being the light of the world, immediately you would have known that Jesus was making an immediate claim to deity. He's saying, I am God because God is light. They knew God was light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, immediately people would have said, is he saying what we think he's saying? But then he says one other thing. Jesus is speaking and he's talking about us. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says these beautiful words. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So do you see the progression here? God creates light. His word is light. He himself is light. Jesus is the light of the world, and then we are called the light of the world. Do you think based on this that light is kind of a big deal to God? <laughs> it seems to be, right? Why is it such a big deal to God? Well, back to Leviticus chapter 24. As we were reading this passage, we noticed something about the responsibilities of Aaron. That Over and over it says that continually he needs to do these things. Continually, continually, continually. And the thing it's connected to is the word tend. You need to continually tend. So the priest is supposed to tend the lamp. Well, what does it mean to tend the lamp? Well, the Jewish tradition tells us that the priest would come in twice every single day to tend the lamp. The lamp has this wick in each one of the cups and, and on top of the post with the oil, and they would have to pour more oil in because the oil is the source of the light as it comes off of the wick. And so 
Um, then as the wick gets used, the part of the wick, if you've ever watched a wick burn, part of it becomes dead, right? So the priest would come in and the priest would have to trim the wick and take some of the dead material away. Why? Because if you don't take the dead material, if you don't trim the wick, eventually the light will get dimmer and dimmer and eventually it would cause the light to go out. So if the lampstand is symbolic of our life in Christ, then there must be some sort of connection between all of the trimming of the wick and the life of Christ, life in Christ, right? Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, Hebrews 12 is making sense of a lot of things that are in Leviticus for Jewish believers who are just learning to follow Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you connect this to Leviticus, what we're saying is we all get dead wick in our life. If this is our life in Christ, we all get dead material. Sometimes, some people, actually no, sometimes, all people get distracted. We become sidetracked. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's accumulating possessions. Maybe it's a relationship that steers us off course. Maybe it's circumstances around us in our culture. Maybe it's things happening in all these different things that are taking place. And what the text says is that God loves you and I so much that if you accumulate a bunch of dead stuff on the wick that allows you to burn bright, that God is going to allow some things in your life to, to trim the wick up a little bit. Why? Because when the wick is trimmed, you burn a little more brightly. I, I, I've had so many conversations over the years with people um, after they've walked through a difficult season, after the season like Jamie described for herself last year, that walk through a difficult season, and then they'll refer to that season with a sense of, like, warmth about the way God moved or showed up during that time. I've had people say, I walked through this season, and then there was a moment, sometimes they use this word, there was a wake-up call. There was a moment when I suddenly realized some things, and, and I made some changes. They'll use different kinds of language. They begin to realize who God really is in their life. Sometimes God just, he trims the wick a little bit to wake you up so that your light will burn brighter. Can anyone relate to this? Now, is that saying that every form of hardship is a discipline from God? Absolutely not. Let me just make sure that everyone is clear on this. There are other hardships that come in our life that are a whole different set of circumstances because we live in a broken world. That's a whole different topic, a whole different subject. But there are some things that happen, and you know, just like I know, that sometimes God is just trimming some things from our lives. And in those times, what you realize is God loves me enough. That's what Hebrews is saying. God loves me enough to tend the wick in my life, to pay attention to this stuff that's sort of causing me to burn less brightly. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on and compares our Heavenly Father to a good earthly father and says in the same way that a loving father will, 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 will let you navigate some of these difficult things, our Heavenly Father knows the other side. On the other side of this, you are going to shine brighter. Your Heavenly Father does the same for you, and you see that. You're grateful. Verse 11 of, of that same chapter says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
hated, I hated disciplining my kids when they were young. It always seemed painful for me and for them. But look at what it says. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God trims the wick because he wants our lives to burn brightly. Why? Because we're in a dark world that needs some bright burning lights. We need to be the lampstand in Leviticus 24, giving light to a dark world, not hiding it, not running off to some place where it just seems brighter. Let me, let me just say this. As I sat on that call this week, I thought to myself, you know, part of me was like, God, um, thanks for bringing me to a city that's been on fire <laughs> for the last, like, year and a half, right? But as I was sitting on that call, I thought, Lord, there's no better place th that I could be. There's no place I would rather be. Like, show me the darkest place, and I'll, I'll take my light there. That's what the Lord wants. That's what he's desiring. Not that we run, not that we hide our light, but that we trim the wick and burn a little brighter. And maybe even during this season, the Lord's been trimming the wick of the local church so that the local church can burn a little brighter in our city. One final idea. To understand light, you also have to spend a few moments reflecting on the opposite of light, and that's dark. And uh, I wish I could just turn all the lights off in here right now, but I know that would freak some of you out, so we're not going to do that. Um, instead, we're going to do something that will kind of keep you in control instead of me in control. We all like that better, right? Um, so I want you to do this. I want you to take your hands, and I just, I want you just to leave your eyes open, but I want you to cover up your eyes. Just do it with me right now. Just cover up your eyes, and, and cover it in, in the best you can, but leaving your eyes open, try to block out as much light as you possibly can, and just kind of hang there for a moment. While you're in that position, this right here, what you're seeing, is the picture that God gives us of the condition of people who are far from him and don't know Jesus. This is what life is like. They're in darkness. So you can drop your hands now. Here are a couple things about darkness. In the darkness, while your hands were covered, covering your eyes, I could have released a bear into the room, right? It'd be a horrible thing to do. It could be roaming around. But if your eyes are covered, unless it snorts or snarls, you don't know it's there, right? It's in the room, but you wouldn't know. Your guess would be as good as mine. You might hear an animal, and we might start guessing, what do you think that animal is? And we'd all start throwing out different options. But your opinion would be just as good as my opinion because none of us can actually see. How, how many times have you seen like, one of those TV talk shows? You, you hear people, like, they got all the people talking, and they're all throwing in their opinions, and, and you see a bunch of people discussing, and the, someone says, well, this is my opinion. Another person says, that's my opinion. Another person, and they're all weighing in doing this. Sometimes I watch those things, I see those things, and I go, what's the difference between any of your opinions? Is there really a difference? Because sometimes it just looks like people talking in the dark. Sometimes all the opinions of all the people out there, it just looks like a bunch of people like this who are trying to tell me what's happening in the world or the way things should be handled. How many messages are we bombarded with? How many things are lobbed at us that people say, this is what it is, or this is what's going on, this is the truth? How many of those are, are being lobbed at us from positions of darkness? People that just can't see. Before you knew Jesus, life was like this. But once you know Jesus, you walk in light. So I want you to just notice something. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. 
do everything without grumbling or arguing. I just had to throw the first part of that last verse there in there because I think that's good. But then verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then listen, I love this last sentence. Then you will shine among them like stars. You know, I've never heard anybody complain about stars in the sky. Nobody's ever gotten up in the middle of the night, looked up and said, ah, I hate all that noise up there. Light pollution, all those stars in the sky. No one's ever said, there's too many stars. No one's ever said that to me. Never. When you got a star on your paper when you were in kindergarten or first grade, you never came home disappointed. Like, why didn't they choose a circle? No, you got a star. You love stars, right? Stars are inspiring. Last fall, um, Sherry and I took our youngest daughter. I just did this. She's like this. Uh, I took, we took our youngest daughter uh, to go look at some colleges up and down the West Coast, and we have a, we have a 1989 Volkswagen Westphalia camper van. And a uh, brilliant idea to take a 3,700-mile trip in a vehicle that old, I'll, I'll confess that. But we headed out, and, and we had this long, one particular long day, and we wound up in a KOA campground outside of Los Angeles. And uh, we just finished making dinner and kind of cooking, cleaning up things, and we sat back in our lawn chairs, and we looked up at the sky, and Meg and Sherry and I just stared, and we were just talking about the stars. And then the coolest thing was this. For Christmas, my daughter found a place online where you can actually capture an image of the sky from a particular place on planet Earth at a particular time in, in, in a particular moment. And she found the image of what we were looking at that night. And for Christmas, she gave me this really beautiful framed picture just to remind us of that night staring up at the stars. And that, that picture sits on my nightstand right now. Stars have that kind of impact, right? We looked a few weeks ago at that moment when God makes a promise to Abraham and, and he says, hey, I'm making this promise. You want to know what it's like? Get outside your tent and look at the sky. And he stares up at the stars. I always imagine Abraham the rest of his life, you know, just random evenings, just glancing up and going, okay, <laughs> stars. God's promise to Abraham was that his people would be a people who would shine like stars. And when the church began, he said it again, you are these people, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Your life matters. You matter. Some of you work in pretty crazy environments, and it can feel really dark. Maybe it's an office, maybe it's a job site, maybe it's a classroom, a hospital, a factory, a shop. And sometimes it can feel so dark, you wonder, what is even the point? But there are people who see your light, and you're the only light that could be shining on their path. And if you weren't there, if you just said, you know what, I'm not going into the dark anymore. I don't want to be around that anymore. I'm just going to, I'm going to go do my thing. If you weren't there, it would only make that place that much darker. As I think about this, what I realize is this cycle that takes place. When I think about being light in a dark world, I come back to the, the necessity, the demand that my cup be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the only way I'm going to have the courage, the only way you're going to have the courage to be the kind of person who shines like stars in a dark night sky is if you are filled with the Spirit of God. Amen?
Would you stand with me? We offer the benediction to you tonight. May you be men and women who are so filled with the Spirit of God that no matter how dark the place you find yourself, you would shine like stars. May you burn so bright with joy and peace and love that a watching world cannot help but see Jesus in and through you. In his name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here tonight, everybody. Continuing on, thanks. Leviticus 24, uh, you know, we're almost done. We're coming in for a, a landing here, so some of you can breathe easy pretty soon. If you have any questions about anything tonight, stop at the information desk out there. Jamie's CD is out there if you want to pick up that or learn more about it. Or uh, If you want an 8-track, I'm sure she can work one out. But uh, really appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here tonight, and uh, we will see you guys next Thursday. See you later.